So we learned today that Wolverine really can't be circumcised. Yeah, I mean... I never really thought of it, but it makes sense. Perfect sense. Now, when he clips his toenails or something, they that's I guess that's dead tissue, right? So it doesn't count. I mean, uh, those would probably go back normal. Like, yeah, they're not going to be instantaneous, though. But I think that's why there's... Uh, one of the reasons why they always said, like, he was so hairy, too, is because, you know, like, he would, like, go and shave or, or something and, you know, it goes back quicker than what it normally would. I guess. I don't know. I feel like if he pulled the hair out, it would grow back quicker. But if he cut it... I don't know the rules, man. They don't know the rules, either. All I know is he's a hairy man and he's he's packing the wizard hat. Yeah. Refrigerator's apparently going to blow up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, your refrigerator just got sound like it got done cooking something. Hi, Caleb. Is your refrigerator yeah. running? Uh, some days you just don't feel like doing it, man. And by it, that means anything. Anything. Living. Living this sham of a life. This lie. I just don't feel like doing adult things lately. No. Adulting's for losers. Like working, paying bills, and anything else related to automobiles or... Breathing. Houses or breathing. Yeah. I found that the overpass not that far from the house actually does have a crevice up under it. Oh, yeah. So if you're looking if for a new bridge, place... We've been talking about it for it's not the nicest bridge, but I mean, it can... You could probably be comfortable if you dug a little, a little ditch in there. Can live in there very comfortably for the winter. Yeah. Might be the move. I'm thinking about it. I had to work in the snow all day and I was just like, too old for this now, man. Too old for this shit. Get my Danny Glover ass, <laughs> like my Danny Glover lifestyle going on soon. Yeah. I wish I was. Danny I just hope that doesn't make me the like the the closetist like racist Nazi guy if you're if you're Danny Glover. I don't I don't want that. Yeah, but he's only racist when he goes on drunken benders, right? I, I mean, that's when he lets it out, I think. <laughs> I don't know. I think when uh, Mel Gibson lost the Australian accent is when he became a racist Nazi. Hey there, folks. Welcome to the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, the fucking love machine himself, Spencer, the Mississippi Mudmaker Church. Yeah. Just made that up. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's making Mississippi mud. I mean, that's also kind of appropriate to what I told you before, before we started hearing. Nobody needs to hear about that. <laughs> Nobody needs to hear about your butt and what comes in or out of it. Uh, today we are talking about the, I don't know, we're getting our shine on, right? Talking about Dr. Sleep. Dr. Sleep. Uh, we both saw the movie like a month ago or whenever that was. It's already fucking mid-December almost. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But yeah, we saw the Dr. Sleep and, uh, we briefly talked offline about it at some point in our lives, I'm sure. But you felt that it was the best movie ever made in the ever. history of movies. All movies. And I All said, cinema. I said that I enjoyed it. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was a quality follow-up to the movie version of The Shining while being faithful to Stephen King's novel, The Shining. And yeah. I like how they wrapped up the movie 
Heavy spoilers ahead. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, fuck off. Fuck well, I go mean, see it's it. been so long. It's, it's probably going to be out on DVD in like a couple weeks. Brother still hasn't seen it. Slacking. But it, uh, the main differences from the book version and the movie version, mainly just the characters they had to cut down on, really. Yeah. Because obviously, you just you have a certain amount of runtime. You can't, like, Stephen King fleshes out all of his characters usually pretty well. So you can't necessarily do that in a movie because it'd just be too much. So, also with the cutting of certain characters or the downplaying of their roles, you end up uh, ultimately getting some scenes from the book that are going to be changed because of that. And you had that, but I think they did a good job. Oh, yeah. They definitely did a very good job with that. And um, paying nods to both, as, as, as you were saying, to the, to the books, to both books, you know, and, and the movie. And how they and how they played off of those different things, like using the imagery that was in in the movies that weren't necessarily like in the book, but just that kind of style of how how that movie was shot for all that all the hotel stuff. Well, they even did a uh, shot for shot remake of the opening of The Shining. Yeah, they did it at night, but it was really cool. And obviously, the ending of the movie was different because in Stephen King's The Shining, the hotel is blown up. Yeah. And in the movie, Stanley Kubrick's version of the movie, it was not blown up. So that obviously left a gaping plot hole if you're adapting straight from movie to or book to movie. So uh, what uh, Finnegan did was he changed the ending of the novel, and he did it in a way that I thought I liked yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And he, he obviously he brought the overlook back. And he did, uh, it was like a, what, three-hour movie or something? Two-and-a-half-hour movie? Two and, yeah, about two-and-a-half. So the first two hours of the movie just go straight like the novel. Obviously, there was changes, but it go it follows the novel. It wasn't just some uh, nostalgia rehashing of The Shining, which would get people, oh, I like The Shining. So I'm, that's why a lot of people that actually watched The Shining and they didn't never read the books or anything, they uh, didn't like the movie as much mm. because they were expecting, you know, The Shining 2 pretty much. And it's not really that. It's its own movie up until the last 20, 30 minutes is when they give you the, uh, you know, that kind of fun, here, this one's for the fans. Here's what you liked about The Shining. We're going to give you the ghost, the twins, and the Overlook Hotel. But he waited till the very end, so it was its own movie. It wasn't just, a, you know, cribbing from The Shining yeah. and all the good bits of that movie like you get with certain sequels. So I really enjoyed that. And then I like how the director managed to wrap it up in a nice bow by completing Stephen King's original version yeah. of The Shining, but with Danny Torrance blowing up. He goes yeah. crazy. Pretty much what happens to Jack Nicholson happens to him, and he ends up blowing up the uh, hotel with the yeah. boiler. So that was really that was really cool. So they he stayed faithful to both adaptations of the bo- or the movie adaptation and the book version, and he did it in a way that uh, I think left pretty much everybody yeah. satisfied. Yeah, as soon as they got there and he started messing messing with the, the, the boiler, I was just like, yeah. Yeah, he twisted yeah. him off, boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't know how he knew how to do that, though. He was like five years old when he was there, so. But, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking. He's like, like a maintenance guy, I guess, though. Well, not a maintenance guy, but he's like a handyman kind of. Yeah, and I'm sure just like with that kind of stuff, if – you know, if it's one way, just switch it all the other way. <laughs> you yeah. know, just take every, whatever way the knob is, Undo take it, it the complete opposite way. Now, the only thing that uh, I didn't care for in the movie... Well, we talked before about Billy Freeman was a main character in the novel. 
uh, the Doctor Sleep novel, he was like an older man. He had a hint of The Shining, and uh, he was a really cool side character. Uh, then they had uh, the Doctor, I forget his name, that was kind of the main side character. And what they did is in the movie, again, just because of time restraints, they dropped the Doctor character and kind of – like he was in it for just a brief period, but his whole – like his whole character arc pretty much was put into Billy Freeman, who they made a younger man, yeah. and they actually blended two characters into one. And uh, other than him getting killed, I really because that sucked the way that happened. Yeah. I I really liked his character act, actually. They made him younger, and he was pretty cool. And, and that that actor, he has I, a good I, actor. Yeah, I, he does a whole. You see him. He's he does a whole bunch of shit. But yeah, he he did a really good job, and the whole because uh, that also character played a lot with him sobering up and, yeah. and helping him become another person and and i got and they, they they didn't like um uh you know shy away from like some dark shit like whenever he he left the mother there with the the crying the kid, baby yeah. and and the money like you know i feel like in any other kind of story they made he would have maybe have left decided to leave the money but like they followed the book, yeah, like that, because that's the kind of stuff in the Stephen King book. Is like that's the kind of stuff it that his, yeah, his character kind of does is you know all those kind of things. And um, well, the other thing that left um, what actually did disappoint me because again, like the way they did Billy Freeman, they blended him and the Doctor. I didn't mind; it was a change, but it was fine. But uh, what I was a little disappointed with was uh, the grandma from the the book. She because she's dying, and uh, Danny Torrance kind of sucks out her, like, the whatever it is, like, the death yeah. plague, whatever the fuck it is, and he holds it, and that's kind of how that story ends up resolving, is he uses, it, uses her sickness as a weapon. But the grandma wasn't even in it, was she? If she was, it, was, it wasn't, really, wasn't really much of a character. But with that story arc not in there at all, you didn't get the Danny Torrance actually being the little girl's uncle yeah like that wasn't in it and uh that was a little disappointing again the time constraints i get it you can only tell so much but um it didn't deal with uh his half sister which was uh abra's mom yeah. that's the main thing that i that i was disappointed at is that wasn't in it and then abra's dad gets killed also like at the same time almost as billy freeman does you're like what the fuck yeah like that was kind of you killed too many main characters at once, in my opinion. That was the only thing I really didn't like about that. And I guess that was just to kind of wrap up those little loose ends, maybe, just so you, you know, the story doesn't drag on. So in Stephen King's novel version, I enjoyed like those bits a little more than what the movie was able to portray. But so, I think, like I said, I mean, I'm going to repeat myself a lot, but it was the parts that might have not hit exactly hard like the book they're still serviceable and then some parts i felt almost hit harder like yeah. the baseball boy uh, death that's scene. what i was gonna that's what i was gonna say there, is, i actually um, almost had to look away yeah, a couple parts was, and that never was, happens to me it was rough there man. were people audibly crying in the theater when that started mindy started crying yeah. she was next to me i was like jesus like and then like abber started screaming when it's yeah. happening and you're like as, as well as Stephen King can write, you do not get that conveyed yeah. in the book the way it was in the movie. Like, it just doesn't hit as hard, and it was brutal. Yeah. That was probably the most brutal scene I've seen in the movie in a long time. Yeah, because I'm like you. I normally, like, that kind of shit doesn't normally get to me too much. But, like, during that thing, I was just like, whoo, Just man. was going and going. That, and that like, kid did such a good job. Yeah, that kid was excellent. But I just, whoo, I mean, if you're... 
you want to see some powerful acting that scene right there and then the chick who played uh rose the hat i forget her name but she is excellent yeah i thought it was michelle michelle pfeiffer when i seen the first trailers i wasn't yeah. really paying attention i thought oh, they de-age her or something yeah. but it's not it's a uh, what is her name? Oh, man. I'm going to look it up real quick because she is really good. Um, a lot of those, um, the people of the night um, were, were really good. Even like the like the background guys that, that didn't really get a lot of play. Yeah. But they they had like that, that creepiness to it. They're, it kind of be like, you want to live forever, but you just want to be like these gypsy people that just like yeah. camp out in the woods. like. They're like rich, but they just drive around and look old for the most part. It was Rebecca Ferguson. She did a really good job as Rose of the Hat. Also, that uh, the girl that played uh, Snakebite Andy, I thought, did a really good job. Yeah. Her name is Emily Allen Lind. Um, I think she's pretty new to the acting scene, but she, like, I, I think she actually was like 15 or 16, so she is a teenager, but she did a really good job. And the, the, the girl who, who, play, who, who played out, like, she. She was really good too. Like the little girl was did it really what good I job liked acting. Most about that is a lot of times when you watch a movie with child actors, even like movies with Haley Joy Osment back in the day, because he was a pretty good child, or Dakota Fanning. A lot of times though, you're like, ah, oh, okay, let's see the adult stuff now. Yeah. We got the kid, but hers like you just you you watched it and you enjoyed it. It really wasn't like oh I, I don't you can skip the kid part. I don't really care about that. Like no, you actually were invested in her as a character because the actress was so good. Yeah, because she was even able to pull, like, whenever, like, Danny took over. And, like, you know, whenever actors have to play them being, like, or somebody, somebody else. else being them or how, like, you know, like, face-off, basically. Yeah. When you, whenever actor, actors have to do, like, that face-off thing, like, she did, like, a really good job with that. It's, yeah, becoming Ewan McGregor. There, were you mad, though, that, like, that he died in the end? Because in the book, he, he he's still alive at the end. Yeah, that was another one, like I said, with the big character deaths. But, like I said, it, it wrapped everything up, kind of. I mean, that's not necessarily how I wanted to see it go down. I wanted him to be... A, well, but see, with the way they did it, though, because I was going to say, I liked how they did Dick Halloran, because in The Shining, he gets killed. Yeah. In the novel, he's at the beginning of the novel, Dr. Sleep, so he's, he wasn't dead then. But uh, they just brought him back as kind of like a ghostly figure, and it worked. Yeah. And that's what they end up ultimately doing with Danny Torrance at the end. And I, But I did feel like that was almost a little cheap. It was like he's yeah. like comforting Abra as kind of a ghost or something. I was like, yeah. I mean, I get it. He just became... What he did was he became Dick Halloran. Yeah. Which was cool. I just, I mean, if there was more time, maybe they were able to develop that just a little, not make it so hallmarky yeah. at the end. Just like, oh, you got it all along, kid. Like, yeah. I, I don't, not, I'm not too into super cheesy happy endings, but uh, what did you think of the tone of the movie? Because Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, it was very, like, for instance, The House, it had a feeling. Like, there were scenes where, like, for instance, when Jack Torrance is writing, at his uh, typewriter, it's just this sprawling house, and it's slowly, I think, it's zooming in on him, and everything's quiet. There's no music, and it's just like to give you the atmosphere and to really feel how the house is. Now, this one couldn't really do that with uh, because it's not at the Overlook. Yeah. But as far as the tone of the movie, a lot of people complained it was slow paced, but I thought it was good. Yeah, I thought that the pacing on it was. Uh was pretty well done. There wasn't any like any time during the movie where I was like, "What time is it?" Like you know, it was one of those movies. I was like, "Come on, let's have some more. Just keep going." 
It uh I thought the pacing was good. The problem is it's uh not with me. What people were complaining about was that with the pacing because they developed the characters. You know, each step of the way. Like you see is he goes to his AA meetings and people just want the action right away. Oh, I just yeah. want to get the overlook. I just want like you don't go into the fucking movie like yeah. that. That, well, that's the same reason why a lot of people didn't like the, the newest Blade Runner movie is because ah, uh, kind of slow and but you're building a world. Yeah, like th- that's what good filmmaking is. You're actually building a world and building the characters, and uh, the same goes with stories. But I, I mean, we talked about this in many episodes recently, but it kind of goes with the Marvel movies where I think it kind of made um, the average mo- like just the casual moviegoer go into movies just expecting action yeah. like it made them accustomed to this non-stop action and i think the because i like the way they did it too because like it's not like they tried to sh- like shy away from any of the shining stuff like you know there in the beginning when they did like the flashbacks and stuff like that and like all the different like monsters or you know the ghosts that would that kept on hunting him afterwards yeah. that he would have to lock in the box and stuff so they like they touched upon that stuff they brought that stuff up it was just wasn't in like i think the way people wanted it done yeah which i like those um the actors that they got for like the shining bits like from you know well the uh, kid who plays ET and uh, I don't know if you saw the Haunting of Hill House, which was an excellent show. That's what my I think it was named Michael Finnegan. That's what he uh, what he did a couple years ago that really kind of got him on the map. But uh, he cast all the same actors, like he did Gerald's Game. So you saw like the guy that played uh, Grandpa Fink. Is his name? He uh, that gross, weird looking yeah. guy. He was the one in Gerald's Game, the thin man, shadow man, whatever yeah. his name was, the weird ghouly guy. Um, but the kid who played Elliot from E.T played Jack Nicholson. Yeah. And uh, I thought he did a good job. I yeah. mean, just look like he kind of looked like him. And people were bitching that, oh, they should just CGI Jack Nicholson. One, Jack Nicholson's 800 pounds. Yeah. Two, he's old and probably didn't want to do it. Yeah. And three, that costs a shitload of money. Why? Because he wasn't vital to the movie. And you need to, um, like, you know, there's a whole bunch of red tape with that. Like you said, you would have to get probably his permission, whatever studio's permission. Yeah. Who's ever in charge of the Kubert stuff, probably, you know? Like, like, just, I think they did a good job with casting, you know, the new, Dan, like, the kid Danny and the mom and the dad yeah. and stuff whenever they, they they did all that. You know what really surprised me? Whoever played Shelley Duvall's Wendy. Yeah. Because that actress doesn't look anything like Shelley Duvall. Nobody does. Yeah, yeah. She's <laughs> a very... She's a strange uniquely, looking... Uh, yeah, she's a unique looking lady. <laughs> kind of mousy. But, uh... Not just I'm not just talking about the look, but the way she acts, yeah. and like kind of fluttery and oh my god, yeah, like almost like olive oil. <laughs> Whatever yeah. actress that they got to play her did an amazing job. She was only in it briefly, but you're just like holy shit, like that. I mean, I believe it is Shelley Duvall. Like it, that's sir, it's more than serviceable. Like the guy played Jack Nicholson, that was just serviceable. You get the and it's hard to it's hard to like replace yeah Jack. Like you know what I didn't like about the movie. When Danny Torrance becomes possessed by the house, and he goes by the, to the hotel, bar. no, when he, go, he gets possessed by the hotel and he turns all ghouly like, his fucking eye slimes over and turns white. Yeah. And then there's like, okay, I guess he's just a gross monster now. But then he, which also is from The Shining because it happened to Jack Nicholson or uh, Jack Torrance, he, uh, in The Shining novel, which wasn't in the movie, which pissed me off actually, 
um, Jack Torrance has like a moment of clarity, which goes with the alcoholism topic. And uh, he's like, oh, shit, I'm about to kill Danny. And then he's like, normal, get out of here. And then he goes back to being a gross monster guy. Well, in this, in the Doctor Sleep, that's what happens to Danny. They did that with him. They made him gross monster guy, going to kill Abra. And then he has his moment of clarity, and his eye his eye goes back to normal, and he looks normal. And then, like, as soon as she goes away, he immediately goes back <laughs> gross, and his eye slimed over again. It's like, why is your eye sliming over? Why do you just get, like, a big cataract all of a sudden? Like, how's that happening? Is it a ghost cataract? <laughs> yeah. It didn't make any sense. And he was limping and stuff, which was cool, but it's like, why did you get gross? I like, um, I like how they played, uh, all of the different, like, shining bits, like, the elevator, when, or just um, or just like you no, know, like things that dealt with the shine, like all the like the mind games mm-hmm. and traps and stuff like that, and like all the little tricks. Oh, that now, was awesome. The, and and I guess this it, it'd probably be one little. It's a minor complaint, and it would probably be for the book too. That in the sequel, the shine just kind of becomes like this MacGuffin. For whatever you kind of need it to do. Yeah. You can either read people's minds or you can force people's minds or you can eat people with the shine because you have the shine. Yeah, you could do all kinds of weird shit that wasn't necessarily explained ever. You know what, though? The movie actually did. When I was reading Dr. Sleep, what I thought the ending was going to be wasn't what the ending was, but it was in the movie, actually. Mm. When uh, Danny Torrance opens up all the, the... cages or locks yeah. or boxes or whatever in his head that houses all the uh overlook monsters i and what i thought was going to happen in the book was i thought he was going to unleash all the monsters on rose of the hat and all the fucking overlook people were going to eat her yeah. and it was going to be amazing and that didn't really happen he released like one or something but in the movie they did yeah. he releases all the well i don't know like he releases them Kind of, or well, something. She, but she, like, when she's going She's sucking through, his powers, and she goes in his head. Yeah, and she's like, oh, what are those? You yeah. Know? But and then she just gets eaten by super monsters. Yeah. Though, I did feel in the ending, she was a little, like, stupid, which didn't make sense. It didn't seem to go with her character of... I, I get, like, all her fellow members, like, uh, well, not all of them, just a bunch of them got killed. Like, her favorite ones got yeah. killed off. So she wants revenge. But then she just blindly goes into the Overlook with these super, two powerful people, and she's like, I could do whatever I want. I'm Rose the Hat. Well, I think the the overconfidence from that comes because like she like she just sucks in all all the canisters that they that they've been saving. Maybe she was like high. Yeah, like you know, cocaine. She, yeah, she 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 like and she took all. I that forgot in. about that. That makes so sense. So she was just like fucking cock of the walk. Just she just coked up. Yeah, just who fucking. Wants some? She's just Mark McGuire in the nineties coming up to bat. It's like I'm gonna fuck this shit up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just old school Randy Savage did. She did that. She just burst in there. Just like, yeah, who wants some of this dick? <laughs> okay, lady. Okay. Um, but yeah, she got killed by all the ghoulies, and I like that. And uh, they went after Danny, too, which was kind of cool that he had to revisit the monsters because he didn't really have to in the book. And uh, Abra got to see the monsters, too, which was cool, I guess. Because she was in the book version, she, was, she used her mental fucking nonsense that you were saying. Like, all of a sudden, now she could be there but yeah. not be there and stuff and uh astro project or something she did that in the book but she wasn't actually there but in this one she was there she was yeah there. They, they they did that bit earlier in the in the movie yeah which i didn't when when that happened i didn't really see that coming like i mm. didn't think that was gonna be the the trick yeah um again i think that with her being at the end and taking over the danny torrance role and danny taking over the jack torrance role 
I felt that was just the fan service part. Yeah. Like I said, though, they waited till the very end of the movie to do the fan service, so you didn't get a whole movie of them just throwing in the junk things you like from The Shining. They waited till the end, so I think that was very well done. I really enjoyed the movie. I would give it five out of five Definitely. whiskey shots, personally. Yes. Um, I'm hoping. I'm hoping in like another ten or fifteen years, Stephen King writes another book with with Harold grown up. Yeah, going through some shed. Well, they were so talking. We can get another movie. He's probably going to write it fucking next year or something real fast because yeah. uh, they're talking about making a sequel. And I don't feel. Uh, I don't feel like Steve. Well, you know what? They might not now though because it didn't make that much money. Yeah. But they were talking. They were going to make a sequel and maybe even make it a trilogy or something to Doctor Sleep. And I don't feel like Stephen King. I feel like he would just be like, nah, I'll just write this real quick and you go yeah, on the yeah. Because, you know, you could just fucking write a, a whole novel in three weeks. Because, you know, apparently some people are just geniuses. Yeah. That's not fair. No. It's like, why are you so good at writing? I just, I secretly want to know, does he have like an amazing editor that just fucking goes in and makes sense of all the shit he's talking about? Like he writes it out, but then the guy who just goes into, because I remember in uh, Dr. Sleep in the, is either in the foreword or the after mentions or something. He thanks like his editors and stuff for piecing together all the stuff from The Shining that he oh. didn't like the dates and all the continuity errors. So I feel like in some of his books, especially one like that because that's like thirty years apart, that these uh, the editors just really get oh, yeah, in there. They, and, oh yeah, they probably help a lot. Like especially like what you were saying with the fact checking, making sure yeah. like. If he if he references something that it actually makes sense or what he would have to do to fix it to make it make sense. Well, Stephen King is a pantser, too. He just writes as he goes. He yeah. doesn't really plot things out. And he throws a shit ton of elements, as you know, in most of his books. Whether it be the Dark Tower series, The Stand. Like, there's a shitload of characters, yeah. all very well developed. Shitload of places and things like that. So there has to be, ed- like, multiple editors who... Their sole job is just like, okay, Steven, you said this happened in Castle Rock, but this actually was happening over here and, you know, some other place. Which is, like, understandable from after writing, like, what, like, 60-something books? It, you know, your memory might be a little mm-hmm. hazy on what, you know, the exact date of who did everyone Pennywise does. Especially when he tries to, like, make it a universe. Yeah, yeah, because that's the cool thing about his work is, like, nothing is, other than, like, the Tower, and then, like, the Mercedes Killer books and stuff. Like, a lot of his books are standalone, but they share a, a continuity, kind of, or a universe, or they, you know, reference each other in small ways and stuff that don't have huge roles in each other for the most part. Right. But if you, if you you know, you've read it, you know, you, you know, you get a little kick out of it. Well, that's like, I just finished, um... I just finished one of his newer books, The Outsider. How was that? Really good. Really good. I can't wait to see the um, the HBO shows coming out here in a couple weeks. Um, so I'm interested to check out to see what that's going to be like. Um, but like I was saying, the Mr. Mercedes trilogy that he did, one of the characters from that shows up halfway through, like halfway through uh, The Outsider. Right. So like you can read... The Outsider without reading those other books. But if you did read those other books... It makes you feel a little cool. And they, they, they cover the, the important stuff that you need to know from those books in there. Yeah. But it's still just... It, it, it's interesting. It, it's cool. Yeah, like It's got to be really difficult, though, just to... Like you said, he wrote so many books, and then here he is writing a new book. 
or well, I mean not a new book, newer book. When he wrote that, he kind of incorporated things from Mr. Mercedes and stuff. So it's like, especially if he's rehashing or recapping some of the things for the people who didn't read those, it's like I have trouble remembering what I did last week, let right. alone like. Well, that's what you said. Going that, back to a story I wrote some years ago and trying to remember certain parts of it to incorporate into a new with, one. With, that's like what you said. That that's when the the editor mm. is handy, or if you know whoever you have to proofread your stuff, because they probably you'd probably have them read that stuff first, and then read you know what you wrote to you know to make sure everything's compatible. I don't. I don't know if I'm that type of writer that I want to create a whole universe and things like that. I mean, I guess if I was prolific enough, I'd want to join things and have nice well, winks and nods here and there. Well, well that's like, um, to you know, shout out another podcast that we've mentioned before, but like the Dead Robots Society, the um, Terry is just, he, or not Terry, but, uh, you know, yeah, Terry, the, um, he, he, like on a new episode, he said he doesn't start a book. And, you know, like, oh, he doesn't just do, like, a one-off story. Like, if he starts a new book, that's going to be a whole new series. Like, yeah. that's his... He said he's, like, a series writer. That, you know, he starts a book, he'll write a series, and then start a new book and start a new series, and then we'll jump back and forth, you know, and stuff like that. Here's the thing about me. I know that if I started, like, when I start putting out books, I want to do just single books, just single-off books. But my writing style would actually be better for a series because I tend to go long yeah. and I would just keep wanting to revisit the characters and stuff. But I would also get really burnt out and bored with it because mm-hmm. I like to switch topics a lot. So I don't know how that would work for me, but uh, series so. But I mean, like, well, then well, that, that, you'd have to do, like, a book for a series and, like, a standalone mm-hmm. book and then another book for a series and then a couple standalones. Because I feel you the same way because, like, I definitely, like, you know, like I said, the, the, a lot of my early reading, you know, was comics and stuff like that. And that's all that is, is just serial, serial, yeah. serial storytelling. So, like, that's, like, that kind of stuff is in my bones. It's just ingrained in your... <laughs> when I think of a story, it's this long... Like, the butcher story. I had, like, this big three, four, four pot, <laughs> like, story, like, idea. And I was like, no, cut all that off. Make a story. If it's good continue you can find a way to you know to, to add on to it you know if it's if it's something worthwhile yeah that's the thing with me i uh i always kind of want to leave my stories open in case i ever want to revisit and i can just continue them i never it's very hard for me just to have a straight end to a story just like yeah. this like a longer story like this is how it ends doesn't it will never move on it and nothing can come after it Unless it was like a story about old people or just like the end of life or just the end of somebody's life. But even so, like just people around, there's characters around you. You can have a main character. Let's just use Harry Potter for an example. You can go through the whole Harry Potter series. Harry Potter graduates, whatever the fuck he does. He goes off wizards and goes to the real world. Whatever he does. No more Harry Potter. He's out of the picture. There's thousands of others, kids. Way more kids, way more story. You don't have to ever end it. Because that's how real life is. You don't, unless you blow up the earth, you don't, and even then, you can Dragon Ball Z it, just bring it back. (laughs) Like, you don't ever really have to end your story. You can just, there's more, as long as there's more characters and more things, you can always revisit. And uh, that's why I like when certain authors do that, where they're just like, you know what? I had fun writing this a long time ago. I'm going to go back and bring it, like Dune. The Dune universe is like 15 books deep now. Yeah. Like, Frank Herbert's son took over like 10 books back. And he's writing, like, it just keeps going. And it can. You can do that. 
or like uh, Game of Thrones, they're talking about doing a prequel now to the show. I mean, George R. R. Martin, he ain't fucking writing it, but some, thank God, if he had a kid done. or something, he could probably, you know, write it. It's just you don't really have to end the things. It's just most like we're especially with classic literature. It was just back then people weren't really buying. Like people didn't live that long back then anyway, so they weren't really buying like a, a continuation of a story unless it was in a magazine. You know, that's why all the great authors back in the olden days didn't have series. They had one-offs. And then, like, too, back then, like, you know, uh, paper and ink and all that kind of shit. Expensive. Like, so you would have to, like, I only have five pages. Yeah. (laughs) However many words I can fit on that five pages is what's going to be there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I just, uh, I don't know, man. It's a different literary world out there now. I, I would like to kind of check out what's real popular at the moment because I dip my my toes into the modern fiction world here and there, but I don't really read it. So I don't know like outside of YA fiction, which is super popular, or fantasy series. I don't really know what sells. Like as far as horror, literary fiction, sci-fi even. like I, I dip Rom- my t- Romance. I think romance is always a top seller. Yeah, romance. I don't know what the big, like, is everything serial lot? Like, this in, you know, serials continuation story. Because when I think of YA, those are almost always, you know, Hunger Games, Divergent. Those yeah. are always continuations. Yeah. And then you think of fantasy, you think of Game of Thrones, and, like, everybody's making continuations. You know, it's not or, just one story, one like, book, or, it's five books. Like, um, what's the, um,. The sci-fi show that you guys like. The Expanse. Yeah, The Expanse. That's yeah. a series, you know. I feel like a lot of sci-fi goes with that, too. It uh, just keeps going. Because that's where the money is. Because you get people... In, it's like TV. You get people invested in a story. Because how often do you watch a TV show where they're like, we're just doing one season. Or we're just doing two seasons. And it's, it does very well. And they just end it. You like, know, no, that's all you got. You know who did, does that? The Brits. The Brits do, yeah. The Brits do that shit all the time. They end when they're on top. Or just be like, you know, like Doctor Who, super like... Make well, a that's why, because they got Doctor it, Who that goes make, for make, 80. But like, it makes like Doctor Who to make a whole bunch of money. It just, it's taking like a whole year off. They're just like, well, they could do that. We'll, we'll get to it. Like, it was gone for like 25 years at one point. We'll, we'll get back to it, like, when it's ready. Um, I mean, even somewhat older sci-fi was kind of like serialized for the most part because you had uh well that's like sci-fi humor the uh hitchhiker's guide that was a long series um but then again if you go with like uh you know like the philip dick story like his novels like uh you know do androids dream of electric sheep and things like that those are all just kind of one-offs yeah they weren't really continued like older sci-fi wasn't series for the most part Oh, uh, you get like, um, like, uh, uh what's his guy who did, uh, what's his name, uh, Asimov, who did all, like, the, um, robotic yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, iRobot and stuff. Yeah, like, he, he almost kind of had, like, a, I think, like, a Stephen King kind of thing where, like. It was a universe. Verse, you know, like, not, like, he, there was probably some things that, like, ran into each other, but it was just, like, everything kind of was set in the same universe with different, you know, where, you know. Androids or robots had, you know, a different level of, you know... Well, let me ask you this. If you wrote a novel, um, open-ended, not open-ended, it really doesn't matter. You wrote a novel, and it became really popular, and people really liked the the characters. I'm like, hey, when you come up with the second one, 
would you just keep going with single novels or would you just dive into the series market? Because that's what's selling. That's what people want. It's hard to, I mean, may, but personally, maybe that's not what you want to yeah. do. I mean, maybe you don't want nine Harry Potter books. Yeah. Maybe you just want to try something, you know, go into something else. Well, I think that's one of those, as a writer, I think at least one a writer should have at least one kind of like series or at least like trilogy. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Just like a longer story, like story, you know, um, but it would probably depend on if I, if I had an, like if I finished that first novel and, you know, people liked it, like you said, and they wanted the sequel right away. And if I had an idea, like, if I was like, well, maybe I could do this, and I thought it would work, and, like, I didn't have anything else brewing in my head, I'd probably... Continue I, it. Yeah, continue it. And then, you know, I would want to take a break. I wouldn't want that to be the only thing that I did. But then, you know, do, like I was saying before, do a cut. Co- do a couple standalones, do a series or two, then, you know... My fear would keep, be... You gotta keep it, you know, keep it fresh, keep my, it exciting My fear would be getting pigeonholed. Yeah. Like, uh, you think of J.K. Rowling, she has other books that aren't Harry Potter, but I couldn't name one. But, she's still able to put out those books. And I'm sure they sell decent to her fan base, maybe, but... That she'll never but, be known for that. Word. But, what I'm, but what I'm saying is that because of all the Harry Potter stuff, that she has enough money that if she puts that book out that she really wanted to do, and it doesn't necessarily it doesn't make, really matter. You, yeah, you know, it's kind of it's all icing on the cake, you know. But unless thing, if it's unless if it's so shitty that a publisher yeah. not decides not to you know put put it out anymore. But for me, the ultimate goal is just having a book that gets read. Yeah, and. Uh, See, that's where I think going the Stephen King method would work out best. He put out a bunch of standalone novels, even though it's like the same universe, but, you know, a bunch of standalone novels first, and then he went and did like the Dark Tower and stuff like that. So I think if you establish yourself as a standalone writer, at least for a few years, before you go into the series, I think you have a better chance of people knowing you just for other works Mm. versus if you just do... You know, you start off with a really popular series like the Divergent writer yeah. or the Hunger Games writer. It's like, well, now this person's kind of known for that, so they can't. Stephen King also has wrote some just standalone stories that have been the sizes of some people's series. True. Like the stand. Like I like if like if you told me the stand was bigger than like the Humble Hunger Games, like page count yeah. wise, I wouldn't be that surprised. Like I don't know how big those books are, but they can't be more than like four or five hundred words a piece. Like probably not. And the the stand is over a thousand. I think it's like a thousand one hundred, depending probably on like you know the font size. It's and, a little you know, girthy. The, yeah, it's a little girthy, especially if you get the the you want because if you go to the stand, you gotta get the uncut version. Yeah, because that's what you need. It's just the fucking With extra the, girth. Yeah. Which when you when you when you gonna get on that man? You gotta get on that stand tip. Have you seen my read pile? <laughs> man, I got so many books right now, and I'm just kind of, kind of dipping my toes in them. But I just have too much. I think now I only have two Stephen King books left. Yeah. Yeah, I have the Sleeping Beauties with his son Owen. And then the institute that just came out, I think. Other than, and there's that uh, uh, 
the book that he edited with the short stories with all the stuff on where every story took place on a plane. The airplane one. Yeah, yeah. He, he like wrote a story in that and so did Joe Hill but like he edited that book. I mean, I got it. I don't know but I don't know if you can technically count that yeah. as a Stephen King book. But other than those, yeah, I think I have I have to make sure I go and, you know, do a count again whenever I get a chance but I think I'm getting close here. Yeah, then after that all you have is... uh you know, the complete works of Sherlock Holmes by Sir Arthur Conan yep. Doyle, H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft Collection. Yeah, yes. You have, uh, you know, maybe dive into some Hemingway, his yeah. bibliography. I was, I was also thinking about, there's this uh, comic book writer, uh, Charles Soule. He had a book come out lot, like last year or a year and a half ago. He just had a new book come out, I think, yesterday. So I was like, oh, I might pick those up on the Kindle too, you know, and see what his pro stuff is like. Let me give you a quick uh, thought problem here. If you could, if they invented a way where they can just um, like just the whole zap book, it into your yeah, head, yeah, just the whole book reading experience of a you know whole novel, they could just insert it right into your head, just you know some kind of fucking fancy tech thing, and all of a sudden it's like you have read that novel. How often would you do that? Versus actually just reading, because it's not the same experience. No, I don't care what anybody tells you, because when you finish reading a book, it's like it's just different. It's even it's even a different experience between when you stop when you finish reading like an actual book and then you read a book on a Kindle. Yeah, it's still kind of different. So if you had a book just inserted into your head, would it be? A, I would do like the classics that way. I that, think. That, that was gonna, I was just gonna say like all those literature literature things that you that yeah. you enjoy reading. That's how I would get that stuff done. See, I'm probably the opposite. That's how I get my Stephen King fix. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just insert them all into my brain. Oh, man. We Stephen need to... King in my membrane. Somebody needs to fucking get on inventing that, though, because there's too many books, and I cannot enjoy them all. I don't have the time. Anyway, that's our talk on the movies. If you folks want to check us out, you can go to drunkpenwriting.com. Hit us up on Twitter, at drunkpenwriting. Check out our feisty Instagram dr- at Drunken Pen Writing or Facebook, also Drunken Pen Writing. We uh, haven't been doing much lately on there because we just are busy. Don't worry about yeah. it. Don't ask too many questions. <laughs> it's December. You should be holiday shopping. Don't yeah. worry about what the fuck we're doing. Get off our shit. Be happy we're still putting out a podcast <laughs> weekly. Kind of. Kind of. No, we've been good at that. I got to do that stuff. Anyway, you folks have. Uh, Happy Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or whatever comes first. And uh, we might have an episode out before Christmas. I don't remember. Yeah. What is today? The third? Oh, yeah. We got plenty. Yeah. We'll at least have one more episode out yeah. before then. Anyway, you stay sexy, everybody. Yeah. Bye. Bye.